Hello and welcome to Better Under Pressure. I'm Sarah Milne-Rowe, author of The Shed Method and founder of Coaching Impact. And in this podcast, I talk to leaders from all walks of life about being better under pressure and using pressure for better. I want to explore how we handle pressure in a world that is becoming more and more complex, the impact that that pressure has on our ability to perform at our best and what we do to be better under pressure. I used to really berate myself that I didn't have a thick skin. And I can remember saying that story quite a lot out loud that I love television, probably the same as athletics of what I said, but possibly my makeup wasn't best placed to sit in the industry that I'd chosen. And actually I learned to stop wishing that I was made up of other stuff. Yes, I have a sensitivity. Reframing that and thinking about my thickness of skin or uh, perceived lack of it, I started to recognize the real well of inner strength I had through personal trauma. And I didn't realize I had that. It surprised me when it came about and I've able to then use that in subsequent big and professional pressures. Today, I'm talking to Abby Stevens, a renowned TV sports presenter who's been trackside, pitchside and ringside the world over hosting major sporting tournaments, including the Olympics and World Cups for the likes of ITV, BT Sport and Discovery. Off screen, she's a leadership performance coach, drawing on her rich experience performing live under pressure to help leaders in sport and business elevate their impact and influence, particularly under the spotlight. Whether interviewing high profile athletes or coaching business executives, Abby manages to draw out their most compelling stories so that they and the world learn and benefit from their experience. An athlete herself, Abby's completed six marathons, including the prestigious Boston Marathon. In this conversation, Abby shares how she's learned to be present in pressure and to let go. When she decided to stop listening to the voice that said she needed thicker skin and how she found a source of professional strength through personal trauma. Abby, thank you so much for joining me on Better Under Pressure. I'm very excited about talking to you. Uh, me too. I'm, I'm excited about being here. Good. Well, shall we start with, just tell me about how, when do you remember experiencing pressure? For the first time, maybe. Yeah. I was, I was thinking about this just before I came onto the call, and I'm passionate about words and, and the meanings they create and the emotions that go with them. And when I was thinking about pressure, I immediately link it to performance, which is a massive part of my life and has been and still is. And I went back to a performance as a very young girl doing a gymnastics routine, because that is possibly my earliest memory of performing in front of an audience. Okay. And having those corresponding feelings of wanting to perform well and the adrenaline and the excitement slash nerves that comes with that. But then I was thinking a bit closer about that experience. And I thought, you know what? I don't know if I really experienced pressure because pressure for me, it has a, a negative bias. It, it has a connotation that it makes me think of more of a negative impact. And I think actually at that time, I didn't feel pressurized. It was just a sense of performing. And I think the distinguishing feeling for me was when performance did have more of those 
negative associations where I did feel like the pressure was too much. And it was still at school, but it was definitely a little bit later. Okay. And, and it was, it's actually in sport and sport is still a massive part of my life. And it was athlete, athletics. And I've always loved athletics and I absolutely did at the time, but I can remember also dreading it. So mm. the night before a big athletics meeting, my, my sleep was impacted on the day of an athletics competition. I found it really difficult to eat. I found it difficult to speak to anyone. I would take myself off for hours before and do some really stretched out, crazy warm-up routine, which at the time I think I know, know, but even more now in hindsight, that was absolutely to counter some of the pressure that I was feeling. But it was so much that I was putting on myself and athletics predominantly, you know, it's an individual sport. Mm. I think that desire to achieve and win as an individual was was so great that I, I sort of loved it and hated it and I ran the 200 meters and I was I was good and so it'd be over quite quickly and I'd often win so then there was this feeling of triumph and all the great positive hormones and emotions that you feel so it'd be this circle yes. but I definitely was on this I, I walked a fine line between loving it and dreading it but it was those more negative associations it's way before I knew the the workings of the mind and health psychology plays itself out in performance but it was a sense that it could easily become too much okay and and were you you know as you were an athlete and you know I know sports sits at the heart of everything that you do Abby um but was that something that you were trained for or is that something that you experienced and felt and thought okay this is something I've got to manage as I go through more competitions as I go through more sort of performance pressure yeah I think that I try to find my own ways of dealing with it and I I don't think I was equipped with people to help work out what was going on in the mind mm in that stage, I was surrounded by some brilliant coaches that absolutely enabled me to get the best time I could in those competitions. But managing the psychology around it, I felt less supported. And as those competitions got bigger or those performances got bigger in sport and on stage and in television as I went on to, I still don't think that I was was set up you know as those mm. tv shows got bigger the pressure was bigger and you're you're working with brilliant producers and directors to make the show and the product and the editorial so great but i i don't think you're naturally set up to to handle those pressure moments how they mm. may be playing out for you how they can support you or how you can feel connected to the team. Because when I was thinking about pressure, I think there's a real strong link to when I've put so much on me as an individual. Mm -hmm. So the work that I went on to do, because I, I knew that I needed some help in doing this, because this was things that I'd chosen. You know, I'd chosen to compete in athletics. Yes. I'd chosen to follow a career in television. So lots of those choices involved performing under pressure. Yeah. So I knew that I needed some help if this is what I wanted to do. <laughs> and this is what I love to do, really. Yes. And there was moments of really loving it. But because pressure became 
so great at certain instances, I did feel like it was getting in the way. So I sought out ways to manage it. And that was profound because it's, it's had a direct impact on what I've also gone on to do, which is to train as a coach and now help others. But that yeah. was because I needed the help of a coach. I thought right. if this isn't immediately around me, yet I know I'm coming off big, what are essentially dream jobs and then yes. feeling depleted, exhausted, nothing else to give, knowing that I had put so much upon myself to perform that it didn't feel healthy, that I needed someone to help me find mm. how to make pressure a healthy thing so that I could do what I love to do. Amazing. So let's let tell us more about that. So how, how did you go on that journey of turning pressure into a healthy pressure rather than a depleting pressure? Yeah, well, I think the first thing was the awareness. I think the first thing was going, oh, it shouldn't feel like this. Uh, I shouldn't be having this TV job coming up that is such an opportunity that I've started to dread it weeks in advance. So I'm already preparing for it from a place of dread. And then getting there and wanting, it just felt like a wrestle between what was my deep soulful intent, but what was my reality. So I think there was awareness that this really needed to change and I had to take ownership of it so that I could enjoy it much more. Yeah. And once I reached out, I actually felt much more relieved because I thought, oh gosh, this, and because and then you've got something to do with it rather than yeah. thinking this doesn't feel right, but I don't quite know why it feels right. Other than there is this huge sense of overwhelm is what I link pressure to. Okay. And especially in television where there's lots of people speaking into your ear rather than going brilliant 10 minutes before we go live here we are I'm ready to thrive I, I was just trying to get through it I was just trying to survive and and I wanted to be much more present in those situations and I felt that I was sometimes drowning in the pressure that I was putting on myself you know especially as a, a female in a particularly male dominated environment so the sports I tend to do motorsport boxing and rugby and I would try, it just felt a sense of trying and force and I needed to do, do, do and research and prep and, and so much and impress so much. And mm. that, you know, if I look at it now, I'm like, no wonder, no wonder that I, that I was yes, just trying to cope a little. Yeah. And the beauty of when I found some support, so the biggest differentiator was then when I could become the I in the role that I was there to do and the purpose that that had which was such a privilege such an opportunity to bring people that were watching at home to that live event whether it's a rugby world cup final or a formula one grand prix event and connect them to the the sport they love and the heroes much more when when I thought about that purpose, it actually removed all the pressure from me because I was okay. like, it wasn't about me. Um, yeah. I was there in service to something else. So when I was able to make that switch, but also that I had practices that anchored me to that purpose and to then being present because sport is unpredictable. And if you are more relaxed and calmer, especially if people are speaking in your ear, you can you can run with it much more. You can dance with what's going on um, yeah. rather than holding on to it so tightly that you're not giving it space to breathe. The product and myself, in all honesty. Yes. And when, so I was able, yeah, when I was able to make that change, then, then 
prep became a different experience. It was the right amount of prep and it was looking forward to it. And it was doing the things that, you know, especially as a coach, those sort of uncomfortable things, but you know that are going to produce a, a better performance under pressure. So yes. let's rehearse it, let's film it, let's review yeah. it, yeah. Let's, let's grow, let's make it better. All of those great things that enable you to own your performance. But when you're so under pressure, those things that you know can really help just feel another part of the pressure outside yes. of you so I think that was a change I just brought it in and once I brought it in I could then let it go much more yeah and I really love that phrase to be present in pressure I think that's a really it's a really nice um way of looking at <laughs> sort of getting inside pressure as opposed to pressure happening to you yes. you can be present with it and manage it and feel it and as you say dance with it I, I really like that idea and I think I'm, I'm really intrigued as to how you recognized it as you turned it basically from dread, I'm hearing, to yeah. a purpose that's beyond self. Yeah. Actually. You know, I'm, I'm here in service to bringing great sport into people's households, yeah. you know, and, and if I stay present with that, I can do that. But there's, and wrapped around that is a big discipline yeah. that you developed, it sounds yeah. like as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. Oh, and, and, and that's totally right. Just having that positive reframe allowed me to be allow me to connect to what I think in my soul I knew that I could do which is why I chose yeah. television which was yeah. the enabling part the extracting and the eliciting of really human stories from athletes compelling stories that move them in order to move others their audience and then in order to move the world and therefore I felt like a, a conduit to that and yes. that therefore was incredibly liberating because it I had to be present in order to do that work with the most impact because yeah. I had to be there and listen whereas when I was trying to do so much the adrenaline was so over consuming you know consumed me like you say it was coming from the outside in and that sense of trying to impress or the the, the perfectionism in it meant that it was just so it just became the product just became smaller the whole essence of it just felt like it was strangled slightly yeah and I didn't feel like I was owning my voice or my true power which was really about others I was making it about me which is what I didn't want to do yeah. but it was a way of trying to control the pressure I was trying to I was over controlling yeah so that I could do something with it um yes. but actually just recognizing it and reshaping it and digging into it to see what other positive reframe I could take with it and then developing the discipline so that that became the trigger to be the enabler and to let go with it all. Then that became the, 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 the difference really. And how did you, so this journey of going from dread to <laughs> being present with it, yeah. you know, how, what's the discipline for that? If you had to talk us through the discipline, Abby, like what, when do you feel that pressure is becoming unhelpful? What's the first sign where you feel, okay, I need to apply something here because it's taking over me as opposed to me being better within it? Yeah, I think there's, there's two things. Um, there's one, even from just what we're speaking, where I try and do too much myself. And even from that athletics memory, once I was 
able to connect to the sense of team or when I was able to think about, you know, doing the relay and the teammates or how, how, how different I was in those experiences. How could I borrow from that or the, the coaches around me? And, and as I agree with this, the same in the television, how could I connect to the pundits, which are often world champions, rather than trying to meet them on a level of, of knowledge, they're the, the world champion, I don't need to be. I just yeah. need to hear their story so that they've got an insight to what these guys are now doing on the track. When I was able to make it about us, I suppose, or a collective or a we and not such an I, then mm. that removed some of those that pressure so that it be becomes something that we were in service to a common goal and that enabled me to have much braver conversations with those sometimes very very high profile athletes who you know have an aura and have had an experience of being treated on a pedestal but that enabled me to meet them on a balance which was which and a powerpoint which was much truer um, that I wasn't trying to meet them on what they'd achieved because that was ridiculous. Yeah. I didn't have 80 caps playing for my country or the experience of winning a world championship, riding a bike at 220 miles per hour. But I was there going, how can we make this sport and this particular event the most entertaining and engaging one so that we give all to the fans and we bring in more fans and they come back for more. Then it meant that I could ask some personal questions from them but it also meant I could relax and go, okay, we're, we're in this together. So I think the distinction between when it's become too much is when I lose that sense that I'm part of a, a belonging, a part of something yeah. else. And there's other people to help me. I'm, I don't need to do all of this on my own. Yes. Of when the force comes into it and they're trying too hard. The other feeling that I get is mm. a, a strong physical sensation. So I go back to that athletics and know that sleep and all those things the, the physical energy the emotional energy the social energy not being able yeah. to speak to friends knowing all of those things were impacted so if I can get a sense of that early on if I know that my mind is racing too much and I I can't do those practices that I've absolutely brought into my life to help with this balance yoga or meditation even though those are the times where those nurturing practices are most useful if I can't do them or feel that there's a barrier because there's something that's going on in my mind that's rushing and trying to over control there's usually a sensation there to go hold on pause right. and yeah. I think the practice and no doubt obviously being coached and then um, going through the coaching qualification and then consequently helping others with this is that I, it doesn't get to that point now where it's gone too far there's early signs right. where I can hijack it Whereas yes. before I think I was, it was taking hold so much. So then the recovery, there was such a hangover to it. And then the yeah. next performance was coming up. Whereas now I, I get a sensation of it. I can feel it in my body and it's a sign and I have a choice then. I, of course, there are times where I ignore it and plow through and, um, and have another lesson, <laughs> another lesson to pause and don't do it that way again. That's why yes. But more often than not, I'm, I'm able to recognize those things and do something. And usually it's just a counter, a counter of, of the pressure I'm putting myself under. So, you yeah. know, I've talked about those different energies, but go for a run or my what's going to be my go-to physical enhancer or make yes. sure that I'm, I'm with my people my people that know that I have that achieving yang like personality that can help offset it in balance but also yeah. the people in the production where all the all 
people on screen as well where we're doing this together and I don't have to do too much on my own. Yes. So, so if you went to a, a moment where you feel pressure, maybe within the performance of it, or go, go to a moment, give us an example of when, I mean, I, I hear now that you're much more able to manage and recognize, and it, this is the wonderful growth journey, isn't it, with pressure that you, you learn as you go and you, you can manage it better, hopefully, as you go and maybe put yourself in more pressure situations because you can respond differently. But if you were to go to wherever you are now, when it, what give us an example of a pressure situation um, in your working environment now and, and talk us through what you do in that moment of pressure that gets you back in control and yeah. back feeling you know good and present with it. It happens most Monday nights <laughs> around about 20 past seven. <laughs> so 7.30, I do a live motorsport show on Discovery, on Eurosport Discovery. And there's something about this particular motorsport where it's, it's so fast. On paper, it should be really quite simple. But so much goes on in this two and a half hours that about 15 minutes or maybe earlier, about half an hour before, they rev up the bikes and it is this crazy sound and this smell of methanol and my heart starts to absolutely race sure. and I suppose this is the shift between dread because this is my second year doing this series and even, there was even with all the learning and practices that I've done around it a sense of dread that I'd feel then as well but actually it's it, it's you're so alive that mm. rather than trying to go, okay, don't feel nervous. Don't, you know, you've got yeah, this, yeah. Don't, you're trying, you should be in control. I, I think now I'm like, let the nerves come because they're about to go and compete. In my own sense of it, I'm now going out to perform. I'm not going out and riding a bike with no brakes as they do, but I've got my own version of it. So actually let these emotions come because this is really exciting yeah. and I'm lucky enough to experience this and, and is part of the pressure that I, that, enjoy, that I enjoy and I thrive on and I have sought out pressure as since a young child that always yeah. looked for those moments to perform so this is embracing it and then about about 15 minutes I go through a ritual so I I would have still done research smart research and not too much of it but I'll go through just my top lines just through the running order of the script and just get my idea of where I'm going in those first few stages but then in those, and this is when I've used the timing in my ear then to really help me because it, it's guiding ah. me. So rather than dreading it, okay, five minutes till we go live, Abby, five minutes till we go live. I'm like, okay, here we go. That's my trigger now to do my, to do my ritual. And my ritual is, and I know I've, I've also shared this with, your, um, with you in, when you were writing your book, The Shed Method, but it starts with me creating a physical presence because you can't see on our Zoom screen, but I'm, I'm tiny. <laughs> I'm five foot one on a good day. <laughs> so, I, so I'm always in heels, regardless if I'm on a motorsport track. But I, I have this image of, of sticky leaves on the bottom or the soles of my shoes, and it just gives me roots. It just gives me this grounding and sense that I belong there. I take some real deep breaths to calm me down because after I've been listening to the bikes and getting really excited, I, I, I just want to bring it in and let that breath just regulate my emotional state. I then 
absolutely dial up what I'm saying to myself. And I'm my biggest cheerleader in those moments. Really? It's really, I am willing myself on to win as those guys are that are about to go on the track, which is incredible really, because I've seen this in sport all the time, they'd be saying it to themselves. Um, big mantras, self-talk, and this is my version of it. And then I would have practiced that opening link multiple times out loud. And I probably practice it another time just before, in those few minutes before, just so my lips and my tongue is, is got around those words. My brain knows exactly what it's about to do. And then the direction that I give it, the cue is low and slow. Mm. Low and slow, because when I'm excited, those moments before, the voice gets high, the energy is quite high in my body. And I just want to you know, lower and, and ground it and low and slow opening link, low and slow opening link. And it just, it calms me even as I say it. Oh, I can hear it. It's, it's, it, it gives it somewhere to go. It just channels the energy. Yeah. And it means that I'm, I'm setting the tone right from the off. Whereas before when I was dreading it, I would find my confidence about a quarter of a way into the program. Yeah. And this was bringing it, this was bringing it forward to those moments before. And then when the red light was on, that opening link would happen. And I, I just felt that I was thriving in what is ultimately a high pressure moment. I love that, Abby. I just, also there's so many beautiful reframes in that description from dread to thrive. You know, the way that you're talking about it, the state, I mean, People listening to it will hear it in the voice, but people watching it and listening to it will see it as well. It's like a literal state change as you go through that. And this is what I love about this stuff is that I think when, when we really start to own our responses in pressure moments, we can hijack it, we can boss it. Yeah. We can absolutely be who we want to be in it and better because of it. Yeah. But I think, you know, a lot of the conversations that I've been having over the last few months through this, this podcast, that people are under so much a variety of pressures depending on where they are but the, what is really consistent across all conversations is this sort of pressure of noise and constant doing that is infecting all of our lives right now that means that I think we really have to get present with the pressure and make some choices about how we want to be with it yeah. and what you've just described there is a fantastic illustration of this has been well honed over a few years of a ritual that gets me into my best shape for a pressure that I used to dread and now I thrive in it. It's fantastic. Yeah. Abby has mentioned so many useful points that I feel the need to pause and gather some of them. I want to focus on three things she said. Firstly, I realised I was dreading something that I'd worked so hard to achieve and I was drowning in the pressure I was putting on myself. How human is that? The success of achieving something that we've wanted suddenly morphs into a pressure of, can I actually do it? It reminds me of all the quotes and the poems that exist around this human tendency. Be careful what you wish for. And Marianne Williamson's poem, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented and fabulous, to name but two. But what Abby is reminding us about here is that we all have the ability to reframe the story we tell ourselves about the pressure of doing something we feel is out of our comfort zone. We can either feel that dread and walk away or choose like her to reframe, I'm dreading this, into 
I'm excited and privileged to have this opportunity. Secondly, Abby says, I found my confidence a quarter of the way into the programme. This resonates on so many levels. Clients who have key presentations, conversations or interviews, who get so frustrated with themselves because they flounder at the start or over-speak or go too fast. This certainly rings true for me. Even on this podcast, particularly when I first started, the pressure or excitement of finally getting a podcast off the ground that I wanted to do for a long time meant that I started episodes, especially the early ones, saying, hello and welcome to this podcast, Better Under Pressure, which I clearly wasn't. I love Abby's focus on going over the opening lines over and over again so she could be more relaxed and calmer from the start to enable her to, as she says, dance with what's going on rather than holding onto it so tightly and over-controlling. Instead of hearing the five-minute countdown in her ears as dread, chose instead to say, okay, this is my trigger to do my ritual, which takes me to my third and final point. Abby told us, I have practices that anchor me, things I know are going to enable me to be better under pressure. Having ways to own your performance under pressure so you can bring the best of yourself to those moments is key. A common request I get from clients is how to manage my emotions to be better in pressure moments. Abby shares four things she does to remain present in the immediacy of pressure and that help her to own her performance. She owns her body. And for her, it's about imagining sticky leaves on the base of her shoes to keep her grounded and give her roots in a sense of belonging. She breathes. She takes long, deep breaths to calm down and to let the slow exhalation regulate her emotional state. She dials up what she says to herself. She becomes her biggest cheerleader to give her confidence and to connect her to Abby at her best. And finally, she runs the mantra low and slow to help her deliver her well-rehearsed first opening line in the way she wants. This is Abby's ritual for her to control what she can in an unpredictable environment. We all have moments where we want to perform at our best and having a pressure ritual that can set us up to own our performance can make a big difference. The key is to work it out and rehearse it outside of the pressure moment so it can kick in, as it clearly does for Abby, when she needs it most. The crazy thing was that I was dreading something that I'd worked so hard to do and achieve. Yeah. And I was like, this, I've just got a dream job, but I'm dreading yeah. that dream job. That makes no sense. And that's why I had to take some ownership of it um, so that I could then, you say, as you mentioned, hearing the thrive so that I could really live what I'd, I'd spent years and years wanting yeah. to do. Yeah. Um, and then it was, you know, you could just hear so much more because um, you have you quietened it down so that you are able to to listen on a different level and it allowed me as a, a sports broadcaster to do a lot less and and do more as a result you know when yeah. I got to that stage where I felt confident enough to to ask someone that has just won an you know incredible high pressure moment um so what happened <laughs> or tell me more I was like I'm there I'm yeah. there because the the pressure on that overdoing was I would say these long-winded questions where I'd answered the question and I proved my worth and I proved how much I knew the sport and I'd given this you know this athlete who's maybe spent four years competing for this um, you're practicing and training for this moment nothing to add <laughs> you know it was like 
stop speaking. And I was like, I know I don't want to be speaking anymore. And I'm still speaking. Oh goodness, I'm still speaking. And I think this just allowed me to, to just take it all in. Whereas I think those high pressure moments before, a lot of the time I'd have a slight out of body experience with it, where yeah. I didn't really remember what I was saying in the moment. And then, you know, that can be a hazard in my job. Yeah. Really. If I'm interviewing someone and I'm thinking so much about the research I've done, the question I'm going to ask next, they've already given it to me. It's yes. not that true conversation where I'm really going, what is the story and what are the nuggets here and how can I bring them out more? And, you know, and if they've gone through 12 rounds of a, of a boxing match and, and, and come out unbeaten, but how can I still extract something that's going to make mm. them feel proud, that's going to make their family feel proud and as a result, create more fans that they then yeah. come back and watch how this guy competes in his next fight, then, then that became, became much more fulfilling. Yes, I'm sure. And also, you know, it's a real essence of listening, isn't it, that you're talking about there. And I think, you know, I know we're talking about a very specific example around TV and interviewing, you know, celebrity sportsmen and women. But I think there's some real resonance here, Abby, for all of us, maybe in meetings or, you know, working with people that are, you know, feel more or you know, superior than you or have got more knowledge than you or that sits around us as colleagues that we can so easily go into that over speaking or over proof as opposed to just listening in the we yeah totally. you know and then it don't um, have to be something different I think this is where where the impact of being coached and even our work together Sarah and then thinking this has had such a, a profound mm -hmm. impact on the work that I'm doing in a television capacity but also in in my life yes I want to help others with this and obviously yes. then it, it, my expertise in this sort of impact and influence space and it makes sense to do it in that in that world of performance and the pressure that comes with that but when that enabled almost gave people permission that they had, didn't have to be a certain a certain voice in this yes that yes. they didn't have to be the one that stole the limelight but they could have just as much add just as much value and have just as much presence and influence mm. but by listening to what that we needed yes. and what they could therefore add to create that I think was just for the work that I've done with various people can can impact you way beyond that boardroom yeah yeah you know, absolutely and it doesn't, honestly, Sarah, it doesn't seem to matter who I work with in that performance coaching space, whether they are Premier League footballers, whether they are C-suite execs, there seems to be a confident yeah. beat in that high pressure moment to own your voice that is, is getting in the way. Yeah. And actually, therefore, to take ownership of it in how they are looking after themselves pre in the moment and post so that they can be authentically them and put their voice out into yeah. that and out into the world then it's um there just feels some wonderful work around that but then it's even more important that I live it <laughs> absolutely and also it's it's contagious isn't it because if you're modeling that then you're pulling that out of the other people as well yeah. which is which is wonderful yeah great so Abby I know that that's the pressure in your working life I also know that it's been tremendous pressure in your personal life 
And I, I wondered if you'd be happy to talk a little bit about how has any of this helped you with personal pressure that you have been managing? Because it's sort of come across in many conversations that we're not just working with pressure in one sphere of our life, it's everywhere. And, and often, you know, we're carrying stuff that we're dealing with in our private life into our working life, even though I don't like the idea of splitting those two lives because it is your one life. But can you talk a little bit about how this has helped or played out in your personal life? Yeah, I think in a really interesting um, way, it's how I've handled the the personal pressure that has most served the professional pressure. So it was the, the other way around, um, which okay. was really interesting. And I didn't realize it was going to be that interesting. way. Because to go from the professional, and I'll definitely go on to the personal, is that I talked about this dream job and the industry that I chose, but sometimes I used to really, you know, berate myself that I didn't have a thick skin and I can remember saying that story quite a lot out loud that you know I love television probably the same as athletics of what I said but possibly my makeup wasn't best placed to sit in the industry that I'd chosen and actually I I learned to stop wishing that I was made up of other stuff hmm. and that Yes, I have a sensitivity and that has created and does create great compassion, great empathy. It allows me to get the best out of those I'm interviewing, those I'm coaching. So reframing that um, and thinking about my thickness of skin or uh, perceived lack of it, I started to recognize the real well of inner strength I had through personal trauma and I didn't realize I had that I, I honestly it, it surprised me in when it came about and I've able to then use that in subsequent big performance um, professional pressures but the, the trauma um, that my husband and I experienced is that we lost our baby boy Seb um, just moments after after birth. Now that obviously a heartbreaking experience that that never goes, and you learn, um, and I've learned in my own particular way, and Terry, my husband, has in his own way. To well, for me, it's it's been making my heart bigger. <laughs> in all honesty, to be able to hone some of those cracks and and aches but it's it actually became a huge vehicle of strength how I handled that trauma um, taught me so much about myself hmm. because in the aftermath of it my husband and I decided that we wanted to have every test that we could have so that we could well really help our healing with losing Seb but also help us with future pregnancies. And what we discovered was that I was a huge risk um, for future pregnancies. Um, there was a, a, a big, big risk involved. But Terry and I really felt very true and, and, and real that we wanted to go again and we wanted to try again. 
Now, the strength that I got from Seb and from that experience meant that what could have been an insurmountable amount of pressure in our next pregnancy, because there was such uncertainty, there was so much uncertainty. I, I'd had surgery on my womb. <laughs> there was there was so much involved that there was obviously a worst case scenario that could have easily been our experience again. And I was mindful that I I didn't want to go down that path because I you know even now I, I don't know how I was individual as a Terry and I as a couple would have been able to experience that level of trauma again. But really, in all honesty, I I didn't go to the worst case scenario. Um, and I think that is because of, of how I reframed the whole experience. It didn't feel useful for me to blame or be a victim or have any of that less than energy. No one should ever lose a child. So the why me just wasn't helpful. We had decided that we wanted to have another child. So it was, what can I do to help myself here? And it was deep belief. It was deep trust because that was all I had. And it was using my experience with Seb to, and the love that came with that, mm. because it would have been easy. easy um, it would have easily been able to, I'd easily been able to lose the trust in the whole world from that experience. But actually I really had more. And I used to, I, I generally felt and still do that Seb is now, our angel on our life path that is going to help bring us another child and a sibling for him. And he really did help because what, what entailed was a, a similar situation in that I was rushed back to King's College Hospital. This is your second pregnancy. So this is second pregnancy with our daughter, Minnie. And it's the same hospital, which I lost Seb in and her life was in absolute jeopardy so I was rushed into the theatre and and you know last time I woke up from general anaesthetic to the worst news a mother could ever possibly hear so the thought that I was also um going to wake up um I I just I just had to surrender there was such a surrendering experience that I have borrowed from consequently it's such an opposite to trying to hold on for dear life Gosh, yeah it was trying to create life by letting go yeah and Minnie was our daughter uh, was resuscitated it was a, a trauma for her and and for, for me and for Terry but she was rushed to intensive care and I was told that as soon as I had um had gone through a little bit more recovery that I could go to see her but she was an absolute warrior and, and, you know, the doctors, the consultants, the midwives, the nurses, they're all saying, you know, she was, uh, her survival is, uh, is an act of God. And I was, you know, absolute belief that um, her angel, big brother said was, was helping her. But the, the, the way I dealt with that situation just gave me so much strength. Um, I just didn't know that I had access to that level of resource and reserve and, when I left King's Hospital, I was absolutely taking Seb and Minnie home. I'm 100% um, in belief about that. But even as I say it, the, the major difference from the experience that I was having professionally was that 
you know, when I've tried to do too much or the sense of overwhelm or overachieving or overimpressing, it because in some instance, shape or form, I'd lost trust in myself and my ability. I'd yeah. lost tra- trust in those around me who are also brilliant and are, are, are there supporting. And I'd lost trust in something that was bigger at play. And with a heartbreaking experience, which should easily have not been the case, I refound my trust with all of those things. So I didn't need to do so much. I, I, I could let, let go and, and all those things, those wonderful things that we're saying in performance when you, you can relax and be present into it. I was able to dance and uh, appreciate and connect to make a choice of what I was connecting to. And Minnie now is 16 months and she's curious and wonderful and cheeky and, and incredible, mm-hmm. but she's an absolute miracle. She is a miracle, but, mm-hmm. but that experience, how I handled what could have been crazy pressure in a subsequent pregnancy after loss, knowing that um, how my body um, was made, uh, could mean that there was a similar situation again and there almost was and knowing that her life was touch and go and how I handled that has brought me back to how can I bring in trust and how can I bring in a sense of letting go so that I can be in this world and channel what's beyond a positive mindset, absolutely, but channel the, the great stuff um, that can then come in that sort of common impact for, for good, which I know is a wonderful mm. coaching impact in a ceremony, mm. saying, but it really was a lived experience of that and, and a very much a lived one because there was a living baby that was. Yeah. Pre- Gosh, Abby, thank you so much for sharing that. And it's so moving to hear the story but also profoundly moving to hear how that trauma, almost second trauma, has actually opened you into being even more present to letting go. I think think there's such power in that. What I particularly um, feel in this story is the importance of connecting all parts of our lives, actually, which, which is why I think the whole work-life balance thing is, is misquoted because you can feed, every part of your life can feed you and, and help you understand how to, you know, be better in moments of pressure, which is what we're talking about now, but in so many rich ways. Um, and I, I really thank you for that honesty because I hope that there'll be many people listening who have got other pressures going on in their lives that will take great comfort from that. Thank you. Um, yeah. Great. So in the podcast, I ask the same question to each one of my guests, and that is, if you could pay forward, Abby, two things to anyone listening to this podcast who is on the journey of wanting to be better under pressure, what would you offer? It is a great question. And just going from what we've spoken about and what you've picked up I think it is looking at those moments of pressure in all your life and so that start with that self-inquiry of when you've actually 
manage pressure well so that you can borrow from it. And from our earlier conversation, how can you reframe that pressure to be positive? Because I, you know, I mentioned I'm sure I'm one of many that tends to have that negative bias towards what pressure can evoke in in me in personally. But as a word as well, and yeah, you're saying also word, about the fact as, that's, as a, yeah. a word. I think we tend, I think, and from people that I've worked with, there's a tendency to think of pressure and the you know the physical manifestations that we get of it yeah of sweaty palms racing heartbeat and and whereas actually you know some of what we shared and what I'm sure is rich in everyone's life is how pressure has enabled them to do what they do or yes. to get to where they've got yeah. to or to be who they are yeah so how can we look at unpick some of those memories and some of those stories so that they can really connect to them and and let that buoy their confidence in those moments of pressure that are coming up. So I think there is something about pausing and doing a little bit of self-exploration to go, oh my goodness, actually I've really handled different pressure points, whether that might be, you know, a physical endurance challenge, however that looks in your yeah. own life, be able to borrow from that and unpick to see what you've done because that story will absolutely define strengths and and it may come from places that you don't expect, as I mentioned, you know, trauma. Um, but suddenly I realized what I'm capable of mm. from that moment that I can absolutely unleash into the world for, for other great purposes. Yeah. And then it is that discipline that you picked up on in the moments before a high pressure moment. How can you use that story to, to connect us to a bank of evidence that we can mm. then bring in those affirmations and that self-talk and you know you being your cheerleader for yourself so what might be that practice and ritual for them so that is the second point and once that becomes you know self-curated it can also be then the trigger for you performing better under pressure mm. rather than us in those pressurized moments hoping that we are going to perform well yes. um or you know, leaving it to chance, let that ritual set you up, set you up to to win in, in whatever that equivalent moment for you is. But you know, I've mentioned mine, but what could that be for you so that you know that you have an anchoring in that moment so that you can be present and you yeah. can add your voice and authority and ability and capability and all those wonderful things that make you you and, and do it in an authentic way but having something that equips you to manage that pressurized moment so that it does become a real force for extraordinary impact. What a fabulous way to finish. Abby, thank you so much for so many profound and really honest shares. I really appreciate that so much. Sarah, thank you so much. And my last little thing that I'd add is that I knew that this is the first time I've spoken in a public um, capacity on, on SEB. So that gets me back and I suppose it is completely informed by the work that I do, but it gets me to saying some of this stuff out loud for the first time before you're in the, the performance moment. I didn't know how those words would come out. So I needed to practice saying them. Um, to be able to be in service to our conversation to others listening so I think that is the if I'm allowed a third point here yeah. just to honest, is to rehearse some of this stuff it helps make me feel proud and it and hopefully it will 
make Seb feel proud hearing it and absolutely um, and Minnie feel that energy as well so I think it's the power of pride in 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 pressure is another really useful one to to connect to and now and I can also, <laughs> yeah yes well I mean you you did it beautifully Abby and I feel very honored that it's the first time you've actually spoken it out loud like that and I'm sure there will be people listening that it will resonate with in whatever way in their own lives thank you thank you for doing that and um may you do it again thank you Sarah well it's a, I've loved it I was looking forward to this conversation me so too much. me Such too Abby so much thank, thank you, you. You know, sometimes I hear people say that they don't want to rehearse something for fear of it becoming too prepared and losing its sense of spontaneity and authenticity. And Abby said that she thought carefully about how to share this personal story so that she could deliver it in a way that would be useful for others and make her and others involved proud. Despite its emotional content, I'm sure you agree, at no point did it feel over-prepared or inauthentic. The concept of rehearsed spontaneity sounds counterintuitive, but can actually create freedom to be, as Abby says, present with pressure and bring the best of ourselves to it, be it personal or professional, rather than run the risk of having no idea how the words will come out when it actually matters most. Thank you, Abby. I'm grateful you chose to share with us something you thought so carefully about. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Better Under Pressure with me, Sarah Milne Rowe. If you enjoyed it, please do subscribe and let us know what you found useful or what you'd like to know more about. Our aim is to share as many examples as possible of what people do to manage pressure for better. If you're interested in any of the practices mentioned, check out my book, The Shed Method. Alternatively, you can find us at Coaching Impact or me on LinkedIn and Instagram. Better Under Pressure was produced by the fab team at Smart Cookie Media. Thanks so much for listening and until next time, goodbye.